guys. Welcome to another episode of Live with the Cork in the Road. I'm Kelly. I'm your wine explorer here in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am chatting with people who are shaping the Southeast wine industry. Welcome to episode 109 of the A Cork in the Road podcast. I'm Kelly, your host, based in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am thankful for your time today and for your support of the show. Thanks for tuning in. Today's episode is a first in the podcast history because we had not one, not two, but six microphones set up for this live recording. It also was my very first time ever hosting a roundtable discussion type format for the show, and I couldn't be happier with how it all turned out. So I sat down with five Italian wine producers that were visiting Atlanta as part of a tour with the Sorting table. The sorting table imports wines, markets them, and distributes them to wholesalers throughout the United States. So when Kevin O'Sullivan of Prime Wine and Spirits here in Georgia reached out to me with this opportunity, it was an immediate yes, and we all met up in Atlanta for this conversation. The participants will briefly introduce themselves at the beginning of the episode, and I've also included their names, their titles, and their contact details in the show notes for today's episode. We popped a bottle of champagne and talked about their work in their respective regions, but also discussed what they enjoy about visiting the United States, what common goals they share right now, and how they are each navigating the balance of honoring tradition while also keeping a watchful eye on the future with a modern perspective. As the conversation unfolded, we learned a lot about each other and laughed about some of our earliest wine memories. So thank you to Kevin of Prime, Lisa of The Sorting Table, and to my incredible sound tech, Franklin, for making this first ever in-person roundtable recording session possible, and I hope you all enjoy listening to their unique perspectives and insights on today's show. Coming up for Cork and Road LLC, we have some fun private and media events coming up in July, so keep an eye on at A Cork in the Road on Instagram for recaps and highlights from those events, but also on July 27th, I'm heading back to the Epicurean Hotel here in Atlanta and teaming up with Joe Herrig of Georgia Crown to host a blind tasting workshop in the beautiful theater venue. There are 50 spots, and as of recording today's episode, I saw that there were less than half of those tickets left, so head to www.acorkintheroad.com for the link and all the details if you are able to join us. I also just announced that I will be hosting a series of tasting classes up in North Georgia starting in August. My friends Dan and Christina of Limoges Cellars, two of the 100th episode podcast guests, invited me to produce this new series that will happen once a month at their new winery and feature a deep dive into blind tasting comparisons of various grape varieties. I love blind tasting and I am always thrilled for anything that takes me back to my roots in winery management and wine production. So all the details and the ticket link for the first session on August 5th can be found on acorkintheroad.com. Some other big news just happened for the podcast. So I just want to say a huge thank you to Decanter Wine Magazine for recommending the A Cork in the Road podcast in their June issue and on their website. I am honored that the editorial staff has enjoyed listening to this show and has chosen to amplify these stories in their publication. It has given me and all of our past guests a very fun reason to celebrate this month, so thanks for tuning in and supporting this wild journey as all of these stories unfold. The next episode will be a special crossover episode because I'm traveling and out of the office here for a little bit of the first part of July. So I'm going to share the episode of the Winemakers podcast from when I was a guest on their show out in Sonoma County. So stay tuned for that early in July. And until then, cheers to you and please take care.
sip of our champagne before we yeah, get Yeah, we'll be drunk. Okay. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you all for joining us today. We are making some A Cork in the Road podcast history because this is the first ever round table. We have six mics. We have one sound tech. We have a lot of love for Italian wine in this one room in Atlanta, Georgia. Quick show of hands, though. Who has not been to Atlanta before? Well, we have a few. We have four, man, four out of man, the five man. producers. Okay. So welcome, Massimo. Welcome back. Thank you. <laughs> welcome back to Atlanta. It's just an honor to have you all. Five producers from multiple regions in Italy. So I thought we would start with everyone giving just a very brief introduction, who you are, your role, your title, where your winery is located. That just gives everybody a little bit of knowledge about who's in the room, but then also we'll recognize your voice as we continue the roundtable today. So Massimo, we'll start with you. Okay. I am Massimo Furlan. I'm the general manager of uh, Le Monde Winery. We are located in a streaming northeast of Italy, the region called Friuli Venezia Giulia, not too far from the Slovenian Austrian bordering, and the same 40 minutes drive to Venice. Hi, I'm uh, Cristiana Tiberio, the winemaker of uh, Tiberio, which is basically a family-run uh, winery located in Cugnoli, a small town in the, the center of Abruzzo, in the province of uh, Pescara, and uh, we produce uh, wines from uh, Abruzzo native grapes. Hi, I'm Cristina Rossi, and uh, I'm from Montalcino. Montalcino is in the uh, center part of Tuscany. It's a very small city where we are mainly known for the Brunello wine. This is the truth. <laughs> Everyone's smiling about Brunello. Okay. <laughs> All right, next. I'm Mark Bertone, the export manager of the Marrone Company, in, uh, located in uh, La Morra, so in the Piedmont area, northwest of Italy. And, well, we are producer of uh, Barolo. Ciao a tutti. Uh, my name is Arianna Folli. I work for Colazzi. I'm the sales account for internal market and the export market. Well, Colazzi, it's a beautiful winery just a step out from Florence, the city center. So, well, I have the chance to drink everyday wine with a beautiful view. Not a bad place to be. So we do have a tour of Italy here, and that's really amazing. And when I share in the show notes here for today, everybody will see where you are all located. And I hope that it gives a good representation of traveling with us to Italy today through this podcast. With five producers, though, I knew that we wouldn't have time to go in depth on drinking all of your wines and tasting them. So this was actually Kevin of Prime's idea. We thought we'd serve something totally different and pretty neutral, which is why we have champagne. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> so, good. Everyone on board with that. So yeah, you are all visiting cities together as a little bit of a tour. This is the first time that all of you have traveled together to the United States. Is that correct? Yeah, right. Yes, you're all on a, you're on a rock star tour. <laughs> so I thought we would kick off the discussion focusing on your experiences introducing your wines to the U.S. market because that is the goal of this trip is to be here, especially in Atlanta right now, to speak to other people in the industry, to consumers, to showcase your wines here in each of these cities. So I would love for each of you to tell us just a little bit about what you enjoy about showing your wines, for example, in Atlanta. Marco, you're smiling. I'll pass the mic to you, Marco. It's the first time for me in Atlanta for, uh, for, uh, for my wines also. And so I'm pretty proud to be, to be here this, uh, for this road show with all my colleague, wonderful colleague, I have to say. 
For me, it's the very first time, really, not only regarding these, you know, the marketing, but regarding also this new job for me, because right now I'm the hospitality manager, but I'm helping Lorenzo and Sabina, the owners, in order to promote a little bit our wines. It's for that, uh, it's the very first time. <laughs> I just uh, joined them at the beginning of the year and... Uh, I would like to, you know, <laughs> help in the best way. Oh, that's awesome. This is brand new for you in your role. That's great. Yeah. yeah. How about for you, Christiana? Ah, uh, you know, I'm very excited to be here for the first time uh, and to meet uh, a new wine community because basically in any country you have uh, and everybody has uh, a different wine community with different experience, different background, different generations. Uh, so it's uh, it's uh, not a good way for me and a great opportunity to spread out my experience, but even uh, to learn from uh, someone else's experience. And you get to see it happen when they taste your wines in front of you. It's an immediate feedback. Ah, exactly. And uh, everybody is, uh, every time is, is a new experience because it's like uh, it was the first time for me because wine is a very personal experience. And uh, according to different country, we can say different market, but for me, it's not a market. Our people, their experience, their knowledge, uh, different sensibility about uh, wines. Uh, and I have a chance uh, to learn a lot. So, so thank you for having me. The two-way street. How about for you, Ariana? Well, every time I travel for showing my wines around, I always get very excited because, yes, as Christiana said, it's always a great experience to get in contact with new communities. The wine is a very basic thing. It's come from the earth. So it, it's something that you can have all over the world. Like right now, really it's less the country that are not producing wine than the country that are producing. So it's very interesting to see how people get in contact with the wine. What is the the way for people to enjoy the wine? And it's always very interesting to listen what people find in Colazzi's wine. It's always very beautiful. All of you have said that you're learning something too. Massimo, are you learning something being back here in Atlanta? Absolutely. Fortunately, I'm in this market with my wine from a long time, more or less more than 10 years. So, and for me, become the second home. Atlanta, I have a lot of friends, so I come very often in, in, in Georgia, in particular in Atlanta, beside the business. And what I appreciate that our, our people, you know, they're very friendly and very open. That's for me is very important, very curious. So they like learn about the wine, you know, and they enjoy really the wine, not my wine, but generally the Italian wine. So for me, all the time I come here, it's just a pleasure. Because uh, what I can tell you, when you arrive in different country, for me, uh, the, the US market is very important. We are talking the first market for me. So, and you feel, oh, what do you want from the life? Nothing else. You enjoy, you drink wine, you have a friend, nice city. You're having fun at work? How dare you? How dare you have fun while you're working? No. That's very important, you <laughs> it's know. very important. Very important. And thank God, you know, I really have fun, in particular Atlanta, because I told you, I have a lot of friends. So we, can, we have some time, you know, barbecue left and right, we enjoy the wine. So it's the best way to promote the wine, you know, it directly to the consumer. That's for me is very important. 
That's perfect. And I think blending that conversation aspect with being able to have the dialogue about each of your wines directly with people who are enjoying them. How yep. beautiful to get that feedback. And you each work with a very particular focus in your respective regions. We heard where you are located. And what that means is that you're making different wines, you have different methodology, all of that. But is there anything that any of you feel is a common goal right now among producers collectively, let's even say just in Italy as a whole, anything that you think ties your visions together? Well, I think uh, I think uh, we, as Italian, as whole Italian, we are really focalized on uh, showing how our uh, focus on uh, making fine wines, because it's not just for making fine wines for the, for the export or for the, you know, the, the business. It's just because we love wine. We love wine, we love our wine, we, we like to share our wine with people. And that's the most important thing. This is the engine of our job. I'm, I'm agree with Markel, you know, the wine is enjoyment. We have really particular kind of business. So I repeat myself, you can have a business and enjoy it. That is so, so important. In particular, the Italian, because most of the Italian, you know, put patient in what they do in particular, what, as everybody know, you know, food, wine, fashion, uh, all this kind of stuff. So for me, I repeat myself, my goal, my uh, mission is really to try to transmit my passion for my region, for my wine, but generally, honestly, all the Italian wine. And for me, it's very, very important. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, it's true. For me, it's um, not only share our wine, of course, what we love, but it's also our life and uh, our traditions. You know, I was born uh, where I'm working right now. I was born in Montalcino. My area, our wines are growing. It's always, you know, getting better, improving regarding the quality of the wines too. You know, and uh, see, it's so important to share what we used to do every day, our hard work uh, with everybody. This is the truth. Elevating that message that you're all trying to produce the best product that your land is giving you. I yeah. see that in your products. I hear that in your stories. And so that's really exciting to hear. And I was reading about your wineries and came across a lot of content containing words like ancient, but also modern. Those words came up in all of the descriptions of what you all do. And a lot of you find yourselves right now at crossroads of generational philosophies. A lot of these family generations that have ways of making wine. For example, Christiana, your land is ancient in history, but it sounds like you have a modern perspective in the cellar. So how are you navigating that balance? Ah, you know, it's uh, it's quite complicated. Uh, I trust in the identity and I spend my entire life uh, trying to save the heritage and the deep identity I received from my vines, which are old vines. And I try to be as uh, gentle, respectful as possible in the winery. Uh, so it's not about to be modern or traditional because uh, in Abruzzo, um, I can say we don't have a deep tradition in terms of uh, winemaking. Uh, 
so the tradition stays in the vineyard and what I did has, has been to save the heritage I received from my terroir, from my vineyards and to try to express it in the cellar. But now we have to face the contemporary century it means a different climate uh, climate change uh, we cannot ignore uh, this aspect anymore uh, so it's about uh, tradition of course uh, but it's about to, to reconsider uh, any day uh, our position in the environment, in the vineyard, uh, what was sustainable a few years ago, now is not sustainable anymore. Uh, so the approach uh, needs to be different. And so, you know, uh, there is not a recipe. Uh, every day we need to pay attention in what has to be our correct behavior in front of the environment, in front of our vineyards and the winemaking process. That's one of the reasons why I love to travel, because it's not about um, wine sharing, wine tasting. It's about approaching new culture in terms of winemaking. Traveling for us is even an opportunity to taste different wines. We cannot uh, drink in Italy because they don't arrive in the Italian market. And so offers us a new uh, point of view. Uh, because, uh, you know, the taste of the palate uh, is directly connected with the brain. <laughs> and so offers um, us uh, a new point of view, definitely. New points of view, new cultures, enjoying wine, but then also I love the way that you're listening to your land and you know what the past was, but you also approach each vintage saying that might not work this year. So you're ready to make adjustments and adapt. And that's kind of a beautiful place to be. Challenging, but a good place to be. Challenging, yes. yes. And never boring. Never boring. <laughs> and similarly, Marco, I even saw on your profile on the Sorting Table website, which is a good website, the phrase, a story of tradition with a watchful eye on the future. Kind of a similar philosophy there. What does this entail to you, though, in terms of winemaking or vineyard management at this point? What we say is that uh, it's really important for us to start to listen not just uh, doing something before listen what the vineyards tell you that's that's really important for the winemaking in this moment but also for the future because uh, a professor of me that say one times to me that uh, the analogical science was proactive before and now it's more conservative because now you have to take care of what will be in the vineyards and uh, well, the cellar, the winery is usually it's a nice place to show, but the the heart of all our wines is in the vineyards. So it's it's more the most important things in this moment is be able to listen. That's for me. It's the most important things. That allows you to be open for whatever again the next vintage is giving you. Yep. These are challenging aspects, but I think maybe that's kind of the fun of it. It keeps us all coming back. <laughs> well, we are uh, always a little bit uh, scared every time. You know, you know we, more close we are at the harvest, we just wake up in the morning, open the windows, looking outside and say, hmm, you know, pray a little bit that everything's going well. And uh, because you're working all the time, you know, a lot of people doesn't know that how much is behind 
you know, people focalize on the harvest as a big moment. And this is really, really important to understand. All year round. Absolutely. And speaking to the innovation side, Massimo, I was drawn on your profile to what I've been hearing about your commitment to saving energy and reducing that environmental impact through your winemaking. So what does sustainability, in terms of an innovative going forward in the future, what does sustainability look like to you in wine production? Sustainability is really particular words because everybody can, uh, you know, use this word in different way. So for me, I'm talking for logic for my company, for my company, yes, I feel my company, honestly. You know, sustainability means we try to give back the natural what the natural gives to us. It's very important. Like to be in synchrony with the natural. So we try to save more possible. More than 90% of our energy comes from green energy. We try to recycle, you know, more than uh, right now, more than 90%. And we try to be like a social um, sustainability. What mean? All our, uh, we call friends, they work together. We are a big group. So we eat together. From the, the people that work in the vineyard, you know, and, uh, and me, for example, you know, we try write and make a group, a team, so divide the same, every single problem in the winery. And believe me, it doesn't make the difference. Why? Because the, all, every single people that they follow put the passion in this business. And the passion in the wine business make the difference. That is our idea, idea about sustainability. Besides all the same story, you don't use particular, you know, treatment in the vineyard, or know, herbicide, this kind of stuff. I think so. The most important is all together, all these peculiarities that give to you really what's supposed to be wine business, passion, team, family. The family aspect, that social aspect, I think that's really important to point out. And I like that you included that in your ecosystem of your wine production. Absolutely. So that's amazing. And thinking about production, Christina, I am going to turn to you on this next question because you all have farmed some of Maltocino's finest vineyards for over a century. And you were even born there, which I love. But what is something about the regulations and the laws in the region that people might not know that impacts your winemaking decisions? We're all talking about how we're choosing during production, but laws and regulations, how do you navigate that aspect each vintage in your region? Uh, regarding our wine area, the mainly we can say there the restrictions there we have uh, are in a certain way the good aspect because in this way mainly I'm trying to explain uh, that we can keep uh, our tradition, our culture, uh, of course uh, quality and you know and so on but mainly is the culture of our place and tradition too uh, we are a very old and historical winery now right now Lorenzo is the fourth generation <laughs> yeah we started really <laughs> we have the last two battles of the 1915 <laughs> in our cellar you know 
and uh, approximately is when the, the Brunello production started almost. Uh, it's for that, uh, of course, right now, climate changing, no, everything really is changing. This is the truth. But what we try to do is, you know, try to find uh, the perfect balance uh, between tradition and what will be the future too, no, in a certain way. Uh, respect, I think, is the key word too. No? Respect for the environment, uh, respect for our hard work uh, and for yeah, all the restrictions that we have to respect. It's true. <laughs> Right. And it's all to make the product ultimately the best it can be. You know, that's what it's out there. I love that you even preface that with, for the most part, it's to benefit and it's to assist in making a better product. But you still have to navigate that given all the other changes each year. So I appreciate you talking about it as a balance. And I think that's the best approach to have for that. And when it comes to helping people understand winemaking decisions, because again, it's every year's a new story. I thought I'd turn it to you, Ariana, because you work with grapes like Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Cabernet Franc for those super Tuscan blends. So where do you see the conversation about super Tuscans fitting into the United States market these days? Are people curious to learn what the term means? Well, when we talk about super Tuscan, is a very hard topic. I was just about, for lunch, having this discussion with some clients. What is the Super Tuscan for you? And what I got back, it's very confusing because what is a Super Tuscan is pretty much confusing. I'm sad to say that because it's the opposite of romantic, but it's very practical. It's business right now. So uh, wine, I love to talk about how it's interesting, uh, the contact of the nature, the talk with people is, we can see a lot of beautiful aspect, but when we talk about wine, it's still a business. So the business part is also very, very important. And Super Tuscan is something that is getting out from our hands, I would say, in Tuscany, because every winery wants to make a Super Tuscan. So Super Tuscan used to be a wine that was not following the DLCG regulations. So it was something that was outstanding, but out of it. So like I was talking before with um, Christina and uh, when she had to explain the difference between DLCG and DOC and IGT wines, we talk about a pyramid, which is totally correct. Like when we go to uh, sommelier school, they teach us that this is a system that goes on pyramid. But I, well, since I work for Colazzi, which is a winery basically focused on IGT wines, I, of course, don't agree with the system because puts my wines in the basement of the pyramid. And I don't think this is the correct way to, to describe IGT. It's always about who is making the wine, of course, and for who is made wine. So when we talk about the OCG, I made uh, an association before, and I said that it's like a party. It's a very exclusive party. You have to follow a dress code, and you, have, uh, you need the invitation, okay? So everybody wants to join it, because the OCG means more money. You can sell the bottle of wine for a higher price. So this is a very, very important thing. 
but still all the markets has their rules so for example a chianti classico a basic one like uh, the um, normal regular vintage one cannot go over 35 dollars i believe maybe even less i'm not sure but if you make a super tuscan even it's made 100% from Sangiovese, which is the grape variety, you can sell it for all the money you want because there is not a market that stops you. You, When you produce a wine, you have always to look at the, your competitors, right? And you have a position in the market. But with the Super Tuscan, is a way to get out from it. So I believe that Super Tuscan is something that is nowadays abused as a word, And there is no regulation. So you can make a Super Tuscan from Sangiovese as much as you can make a Super Tuscan from whatever you want. But for myself, if I have to think about for what is for me a Super Tuscan, because when I, my wallet can afford it, I love to invest money on it. And I repeat invest because it's always a great way to learn what is a Super Tuscan like. What is, you go in a winery in Tuscany and they make you taste uh, all the, like, uh, DOCG wine, DOC if they have also, and then they have a special Super Tuscan, or the opposite, just an IGT. So it's very interesting. And for myself, Super Tuscan, I would say it's uh, your best. And uh, is international varieties, definitely international varieties. For me, 100% Sangiovese cannot be a super Tuscan. For myself, I repeat. So it's something that it's new and would need probably in the future a regulation. Yes, I would say, because otherwise this name will be abused from all the wineries. It's interesting to hear you talk about that because we just jumped from laws and regulations that have been established for years and years. And then you're talking about something that's relatively new and doesn't have those boundaries yet. So it's just an interesting place to be, to be producing that and then communicating that as you're showcasing your wine. That's the whole story behind it is it's not as regulated as some other familiar Italian regions. So that's really interesting. And I appreciate your insight on that. And I'd like to open the floor for the next question to everybody, because as we're sitting here now, I'm learning a lot from you about your own personal perspectives, but you're traveling together. So what kinds of things do you learn from each other on a trip like this? I know we just started. We're kicking it off here in Atlanta. But when you're traveling with other producers, what kind of things do you learn from each other? Uh, you know, this is the first stop. You know, the beauty of um, Italy and uh, the wine production, uh, it's the identity or the kaleidoscopic identities we have. And I think think to keep our brain sharp is great to have a different uh, tour experience, uh, even a sales experience, because um, we uh, have different professionalities in uh, this wine world. Uh, I honestly don't know anything about uh, sales, but uh, it's great uh, sometimes to listen to from people uh, who has this kind of knowledge and uh, give us uh, the chance uh, to drink um, 
in a very constant way these wines for the next uh, weeks. So, <laughs> so you're just <laughs> starting to learn. I'm a master Exactly. Master sum of uh, these uh, five uh, wineries, I think, at the end of the tour. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, it's just the beginning. It's true. It's the first stop. Uh, but for sure, for me, it would be mainly a, you know, a personal experience. Because it's the first time and then I would like to learn and improve. And I know there with them I can and I do it. And bringing different perspectives, because you're right, even the roles, it's not that all five of you are winemakers, not all five of you are salespeople. So you're going to get different perspectives at every step of the way on this. Right. I'm agree. It's a new experience for me. I'm the older of the group, you know. <laughs> This is very clear, you right? The I love see young, young people, you know, they put all this passion. Now that we talk a little bit all together, but the same before, you know, and for me, it means that there is a future. Because sometimes, you know, you think just when you are a little bit older, you know, that there is just one way to sell wine, just one way to promote the wine. No way. I learn every single day, in particular in this, this kind of uh, group. You know, everybody try the best and put the passion. And for me, that is the future. I'm very happy. I'm really very happy for that. Did you read my mind, Massimo? I was just going to ask about the future. So we'll just dive into that because I'm, that's where I'm thinking. I'm sitting here with you. You're bringing so much knowledge and past experience, but from such different aspects of the wine industry. And so I think about this as we're sitting here collectively talking about Italy, but I would love to open it up a little bit broader and think about in terms of the wine industry as a whole, so not just Italy, but more globally, is there something that we all could do in the next five years, let's say, let's even put a timestamp on it, next five years to improve the future of the wine industry? What is something we all could focus on that would have us moving in the right direction in the next couple of years? Personally, to be again, follow the sustainability. So follow the natural. Don't go against the natural because first before give back, you know. So, and I feel that this idea, this philosophy is really very important. And I feel at the same time that everybody really focus in this kind of way. So I'm very happy too. So not just because now it's very trendy to be organic, to be ecologist, to be everything. But I feel that in particular the young generation, they, they feel inside. So and they transmit to the other people. That would be a future. Particular case, for example, I have two small kids, Princess of Eight and uh, my little rascal of, uh, of five years old. And I, and I see him uh, in the way that they they start to approach the world better than me. They are more respectable of the nature than me. And that's, that's pretty good. And it's something that we, we like to teaching and it, we like to, to share this with, uh, mostly with the kids. We, we are a family business, so you know. The future is the kids. It's the, the kids, kids. It's very so, easy. You know, that, that, that's it. And, and in our situation, we are uh, also a fourth generation. But the moment, in this moment, the board of the company is, I'm one of the older, and I'm 40. So we are pretty proud of that. That's that, for example, for, for our company, I'm really proud of that because we, we are more or less 28 people that work in there, and the average age is under 32 years old. And uh, there is a small rules in Italy, you are never old enough 
to do something by yourself. So that's uh, that's a big challenge that we hope to win. Congratulations, if I can say that, because <laughs> it's really it's really unusual. Yep. Because in the wine business, is all man and all old. I'm sorry. No, you're <laughs> right. Sorry, you're right. No, you're right. So it's great. It's yeah, really yeah. great. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. As Thanks. a as a young woman, yeah, yeah. more I, than me. <laughs> I, I like to say congratulations. Really. No, I, I'm really proud of that. We must to be open. That future is just yep. the young generation. Yep. And no, the woman also. <laughs> in particular, the wine business. Yes. I'm agree absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. Well, if a lot of you do agree on this, then taking my question a little bit further, a little bit more narrowed, is how do we get the younger generation excited about your wines, about Italian wines, about drinking wine? How do we inspire the younger generation? I think there, in particular, where I live, uh, the truth uh, is, uh, for example, uh, there is a new high school and is the agronomist high school. For example, no, this is a way teach, uh, you know, and try to share the passion with the new generations. It's for that, as in particular, right now is my sister. There, she she did it. She just finished it. She's so young, and she's working for a winery. But the whole classroom, you know, is working right now for all the different wineries in the area. Also, because in Montalcino there are a lot of opportunities, a lot of wineries, and. Um, in a certain way, I'm still young, but trying to, you know, share and introduce you a little bit my passion, but not only with the new generation. We are a little bit, of course, with everybody, but new generation are so important. In my case, in the Sassetti family, really, uh, there are young girls uh, that are waiting in order to, you know, work on the business. Uh, and, uh, but really, uh, we are still young, you know, and trying to, to do a little bit everything, but in particular share our passion and yeah, introduce a little bit this word to the new generations because they can keep it. You're speaking to that access point and creating those opportunities and I get excited when I hear about wine education as a way to introduce people to the discovery and the process of learning about wine. And Christiana, I know that you teach college level winemaking, chemistry, and sommelier classes and things like that in that education role. I used to. I used, used to. to. I yeah. needed to stop because <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I already have um, not one, but multiple full-time jobs. So I'm a winemaker. <laughs> I'm here. Take care of my dogs, the vineyard, hospitality. So yeah, it has been a great period of my life, but I needed to stop. Yeah. Because you did teach that college level entry to the wine world, sommelier classes from a service standpoint or people that are beginning their educational journey in wine. You did see that. Do you have any advice for someone who wants to start studying wine? Because here in Atlanta, there's a lot of people that are in the service industry. They're learning that knowing about wine and having that educational standpoint can really elevate the way that they provide service. Do you have any advice for someone starting out in their Italian wine education? Ah, it's not an advice, it's uh, my opinion, but I can say take uh, wine as a serious thing. Uh, not just uh, play wine, but uh, apply seriously in wine knowledge, 
experience, travel, visit wineries, taste with winemaker, listen to winemaker. Hospitality is an important element in the wine world and I would like to see, especially in this sensitive historical moment for hospitality where it's so hard to find professionals, I would like to say to young guys and girls, hospitality is an amazing world uh, who really open our mind. Honestly, working in the wine industry made me a better person in terms of my personal mood, character. I'm a very shy person. I used to be very shy. I'm still shy, but, uh, you know, uh, I needed to pull out all my brave. And so, yeah, apply seriously to become a wine professional. That's uh, what I want uh, to say. Wine can offer you great opportunities and uh, don't miss these opportunities. That's so encouraging to hear. Kind of going back to the beginning of why we like our wine industry friends and our industry life is that it's also fun. So yeah, you're encouraging lots. <laughs> lots of fun. <laughs> so you're encouraging people the beauty of entering hospitality, but through wine and through those conversations and those connections that you can create in the wine industry. It's so beautiful. Thinking about that, and I would be crazy not to ask everybody with all different backgrounds and your own personal wine journeys, does anybody remember the very first wine that you ever tasted? I feel like I always like a good trip down memory lane. Do you have kind of that profound wine memory? I'll start with you, Ariana. You're like, yep, I can see you there. Your brain is taking you right back. Tell me about that first wine moment for you. Oh, well, I'm not sure I want to share it because it's not something to be proud of. (laughs) That's okay. I think it's the first time it's always for everybody. (laughs) I even remember the wine bottle. I'm not sure if I can say the the name. It was uh, Santa Cristina. I won't say the winemaker. I was uh, maybe 15 years old, so very far from the legal age to drink. And I was drinking by the bottle, not even by the glass. And yes, that's my memories. I won't say what happened after, but I believe that your imagination can bring you there with me. So first experience with You're wine. drinking fancy champagne today. You've come a long way. Oh, yes, very long way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Marco, what, where does this wine memory take you? Well, the, the first wine that I tried was uh, Fav- Lange Favorita, uh, Royero Favorita, sorry. During the, 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 the school, and I was like uh, 14 or 15 also, something like that. But, you know, in Italy there is no rules about about that. <laughs> there are, but we don't follow. <laughs> yeah, that's it. But it was a white wine from, uh, from our uh, region. So, yeah, it was pretty funny. Same experience like me, right? <laughs> yeah, the same. But I don't say this. <laughs> We're all drinking from the bottle at some point. It's totally fine. Okay, where does this wine memory take you? Really, my first experience was mainly with the rum. <laughs> and I was so young, just five years old. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, the famous uh, dessert uh, from Naples, uh, the baba. Oh. Uh, it's deep in the rum. Uh, see, I ate 14 babas. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> see, see, hey, but the concept for my grandma was mainly 
Christina, you have to eat, no? And <laughs> eat all of them, of course. But yeah, regarding the wine, same experience, really, as <laughs> Rihanna and Marco. Yeah, same experience. 14 years old, you know, when we are teenager, we are approximately start to drink and slowly, slowly, we'll start to enjoy the wine for a little I think bit the later. No? The start was that you know, somebody offered us because at that time we had not had much, enough money to to buy a bottle of wine, probably a beer, perhaps, but a bottle of wine was. Blanket? No, I believe yeah. no. <laughs> we have also the <laughs> So I started when I was a teenager, very young, sipping uh, little wines. But for sure, I have to say uh, the first bottle turned on my brain and I started to realize and to think about the real meaning of the wine has been a Barbaresco Vigna Gallina from Bruno Giacosa. Uh, because wow. <laughs> uh, my father used to be uh, a good friend. And so at that time, you know, we used to drink Jacosa wines uh, quite often, but I didn't realize I was drinking the greatest uh, wines of Italy, uh, you know. And one of the weird episodes has been when I was at university, I applied for a summer job because as my roommate, I wanted to, do, to buy a super fancy bag at that time. And when I collect enough money to buy that bag, I didn't buy the bag, but I bought six bottles of Chevalier Montrachet Fleve. I still have three bottles in my cellar because I became a collector over the years. So um, I started when I was a teenager to buy wines, to collect. Of course, it's weird because the most part of that bottles are not my wines anymore, not my taste. But it's nice to see how the palate changed. Uh, it's a matter of education. It's a matter of taste. So it's obvious after uh, two decades <laughs> uh, to, to meet uh, the old Christiana in my cellar. I can see the old Christiana, the young Christiana, <laughs> and now the mature Christiana. <laughs> More knowledgeable, I would like to say. But that's beautiful because that's the journey through wine. We all have to have a wine that makes us interested in trying the next wine. So I yeah. think that's really important to say that you can kind of go back in time and say, that's what I used to drink. And you have explored wine and whole different pathway now. It's exactly. kind of beautiful. The journey is amazing. And the most beautiful aspect uh, is uh, I'm always so curious. Uh, and uh, I'm, uh, I always want to try something new. It doesn't matter if a young winemaker arrives to me saying, hey, I just planted a vineyard. Do you want to taste? Of course I want to taste. I want to see the vineyard. So I'm curious uh, as I was uh, 20 years ago and uh, that's uh, that's the beauty of the wine because uh, it's a continuous journey. All right, Massimo, take us back. What, oh, I'm afraid to ask what your first wine was. You know, <laughs> or was it rum? You know, you know, no, no. As you know, I come in from Veneto region, Friuli region, and I think these are the two regions in Italy where they drink more than wine, the, all the other region together. So I really start very young. Don't ask me the age, please, because maybe they put my, my parents in, in prison, but no, <laughs> no problem. But it was so normal this time that everybody, before the teenager, drink wine. I live in the middle of the area of the Prosecco. So for us, it was very easy to drink Prosecco 
daily, daily. The same time, you know, we are not talking about Barrel, Barbaresco, or some other heavy or more heavy wine. Prosecco is very easy drinking. For us, it was very normal, still very normal, now become very popular in the world, logically. But usually, you know, before lunch, we stop in the bar, we drink a glass of Prosecco easily, maybe sometime two or three, and then aperitif before dinner, and now two or three, very normal. Prosecco. Anyway, what I can tell you was the, in one way, the right way to approach the wine, because it was easy wine. Logic now a different taste, if a palate, absolutely. That was the way to introduce me in the wine business. And, and from there, I start my, my new adventure. Are you still drinking Prosecco today? Don't ask me this guy. <laughs> Sometimes. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Oh, I just watched everybody go to a place when I talked about wine memories. And I think it's really awesome to think about on a global scale that I could probably ask every wine professional kind of their earliest wine memory. And we all go back there. You can smell the place you were. You can see it. You feel what it was to be in that place. And it can be a variety of different situations. But I think we all got intrigued by wine in a very similar way. So I really yeah. like asking that. And I know that we are all very much fans of Italian wine. We have an entire lineup sitting behind us while we're recording of all of the producers showcased here today. But I'd like to close by taking us a little bit out of Italy. And I would love to ask everybody the same question. And that is, if you could make wine or work with wine from any other country, where would it be? You just got to tell me why as well. So you can't just tell me one and pass the mic. Where do you dream of working with wine and why? Oh, wow. Well, a part of me would love to go to France because what I'm doing uh, with Colazzi is working with IGT wines in a borderland. But uh, uh, it will be Australia, definitely, because there is a completely different way to think about a wine. I believe that it's more big industry there, and that's a reason why I would love to go there. And the like, little producer are very little producer. Like here in Italy, little producer are fancy. I, my, in my imagination, Australian produce, little producer are wild. And I think it's what, what I heard from my friends doing experience over there is pretty much like that. So I think it will be a great way to see another part of the wine process that I will never see if I stay all the time in Italy. But probably I will keep staying in Italy and drink Italian wine for the rest. Who knows? I hope so. <laughs> All right, Marco, where would you go if you could go anywhere to work in wine? Well, I have to say last year, in the last harvest, uh, we have with us, with our team uh, from uh, New Zealand because we share experience. So the, it's nice to do this. It's some years that we do. We, we're just stopping for the, for the pandemic, uh, but we had every year some new people uh, in the wine business uh, from other part of the world. So mm, I talk with him, I try something, and it's, I think, uh, New Zealand, it's also, as she say, pretty wild on that side. And I'm pretty curious of that. Otherwise, I have to say that in Italy, sometimes we spoke about Italian wines, but uh, we have original wines. So, you know, moving from uh, making wine in Piedmont or making wine in Sicily, uh, it's Two completely different uh, world, 
And, uh, and so sometimes uh, the best journey is just behind your corner. You can travel in Italy for different experiences before we find you in New Zealand. Excellent. <laughs> okay, sounds really good. For me, it's a little bit hard. I think there, I'm in the right place, you know, it's where, you know, I was born and it's a little bit hard to think about different wine region. But the truth is, when I started to work on the wine business, I mainly worked on the hospitality aspect of the winery. And then my first choice really, of course, if I, I don't know, if I would like to you know, change a little bit my lifestyle and the country where I live, the idea was the United States. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I checked a little bit regarding Finger Lakes and then, you know, no Napa, but a little bit a different wine area that in my opinion was closer to my, my passion. But I think there I cannot leave. <laughs> This was all very hypothetical. Don't worry, we're not gonna we're not gonna make you leave. It's fine. It's, not, it's, not. Yeah, it's too hard, you know. But yeah, yeah. Or of course, all over Italy, the truth. Uh, yeah, Piemont is another uh, amazing region. There, I would like welcome. to, you know. <laughs> I guess I didn't mean to say you couldn't pick a different region in Italy. Okay, Christiana, how about for you? Because I can ask you, where would you make wine? What grapes haven't you worked with that intrigue you? Hmm. You know, for me, it's important to have a deep connection in a place that I work uh, in uh, or the grape variety I work in. So making wine is not something about uh, you can move and uh, do your job uh, it's something more intimate in some way. I'm very focused on native grapes, indigenous grape varieties. Of course, there are amazing terroirs in the world. I would like hypothetically work. But right now would be interesting for me, California, and not the most popular area, but California in Lodi, where they have a great patrimony of indigenous grape varieties, amazing volcanic soil, and the regulations are not so strict as in Italy. And so, you know, to approach indigenous grapes that have been there for centuries could be amazing or something can develop me a passion. There are so many vineyards that are being revitalized that yeah, were yeah. abandoned or forgotten about. And then it's people exactly. like you with a passion for those indigenous grapes and making sure that they stay true to the land there. That's exactly what's happening. Exactly. So I'm not surprised to hear you say that. That's beautiful. Exactly. That's a, I think this um, has to be even uh, the role of winemaker and not just uh, applying a super fancy terroir, which of course is amazing. Uh, but we have an important role and responsibility even uh, in saving and keeping this uh, heritage of uh, native grapes. I did this work in my own terroir in Abruzzo with my Trebbiano Abruzzese vineyard and all the rest and so this uh, could be a good reason uh, if I could not work in Abruzzo anymore to move. <laughs> We'd be lucky to have you. All right Massimo where are we, where are we going to find you other than Italy? I don't know. My wish maybe is move from the extremely northeast 
to streaming west of Italy, in Piedmont. So I have a little bit in order to sell Friuli wine or anyway, Friuli and all the white wine basically, because in this region, absolutely grow one of the best white wine in, in Italy. Now my wish is maybe move in Piedmont and try to sell one of my favorite wines, so Barolo. That will be, but I think it will be a little bit difficult because I'm not still young, so I have family, but my dream, absolutely. You just got a smile though from Marco over here when you said that. So who knows? Don't the doors are nobody open. Knows. Nobody knows. <laughs> never say never. Oh my goodness. It, again, didn't mean that any of you should be leaving Italy anytime soon. I just think it's really beautiful to think about the wine industry as a whole and that we all like exploring wine. We all like finding new flavors and new ways of expressing the land that then we find in our glasses. And I noticed that the way that all of you are speaking about the places and how you are moving through the wine industry that we all share that joy. It is joyful. It's so joyful. So I'm very thankful for this opportunity to have all of you in Atlanta and get to meet and talk with so many industry and consumer folks here that are excited to try your wines. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. I think we should do a toast. Yeah, I have okay. no more champagne. Uh, obviously, but oh, and obviously you are welcome. You are welcome. The last toast. Thank you, Marco. Filling up my glass right here on oh, air. This is my Oh, so beautiful. <laughs> refilled my champagne for our final toast. I'm so thankful okay. that all of you traveled to the United States, but particularly to Atlanta. So cheers to that. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to the A Cork in the Road podcast, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, and interviewing people who are changing the wine world in the Southeast and beyond. You can find more about A Cork in the Road at at A Cork in the Road on Instagram and make sure to check us out on www.acorkintheroad.com. See you soon, guys. Cheers.